0: On our podcasts, we'll share our rich 35 years of experience in designing strategies, share clients' experiences, and introduce resources that have positively impacted our clients. We trust that you will enjoy our direct, transparent, and realistic approach to positively impacting the quality of you and your family's lives. Now, on to the show.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Opus Wealth Style Podcast. My name is Ivan Watanabe, here with one of my partners, George Papanikolaou. George, what's going on, man? Good morning. Good to be here again. George, why don't you introduce our guests today as they're good friends and business partners of yours? So just kick it off.
2: So I'm very excited because today I have two very good friends of mine, Ghani and Forum Baratari. They are partners in the Bharatari Realty Management Company. Very successful group, near and dear to my hearts. Their first generation, like myself, very impressive individuals, great family guys, great values, professionally, I would call them top tier. And, you know, I just kind of very happy to have them here. They have a lot of value and input to give to everybody. I love my conversations with them. And I'll, I'll really pass it over to you guys. You know, I'd love to hear, tell us a little bit about the business, you know, how it got started how you scaled it into different areas outside of just the general New York City metro. No, uh, go from there.
3: Thanks, George. appreciate it. This is uh, Flo. Nobody calls me Flooram except for my wife when she yells at me. <laughs> so, I go by Flo and my brother Ghani. We're happy to be on the podcast, obviously. Hey, everybody. Good to be here. And I don't know if we consider ourselves successful. I feel like I still grind really hard for a successful guy. <laughs> I feel like the grind never stops.
4: <laughs> yeah in terms of uh, yeah it, that form's right we're second generation we're, we put in uh, six days a week you know we grind pretty hard to make it all come together this is a company that my dad had started almost 40 years ago and the company grew from multifamily you know from multifamily roots back in the late 60s and early 70s back when uh, New York City multifamily wasn't a good place to be and then eventually, you know, that changed and we've come into the business. Probably, uh, I think, Florin, you were here before me. I think you were here in
3: 2006. Yeah, 2006, I jumped on board and you were just slightly thereafter. And then we have another brother, Niamh who's an attorney, who's also part of the group. And it's thankfully we got into this family business and my father was smart enough and had the foresight to give us all very different jobs in the same company. So our overlap is minimum. And even that minimum sometimes makes me want to kill both of them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was just going to say, I'm sure that helps for family businesses.
3: <laughs> you know what it is? though. something I heard a long time ago. They said when there's too many chefs cooking the same meal, it's not in the same kitchen, it's cooking the same meal. It's never going to come out good. And you kind of prove yourself in a family company, obviously, I think more to an extent than you would outside of a family company. Cause family members don't ever let things go. They never let you live it down. So it's like, you know, you got to always prove yourself every morning and every day and every deal. And basically for us, it's nice that I don't really delve into the legal side of it. And the other brother who's the attorney doesn't delve into the commercial side of it that I do. And, Guy and I kind of overlap on the construction, albeit he does a lot more of the fundamental stuff like, you know, foundations, site work, boilers, you know, stuff like that. Whereas I'm doing more of the interior design stuff and kind of the finishes.
1: Gotcha. And what kind of, so you started off with multifamily projects and then how did the business transition? What's your main focus now today and what's your portfolio typically made of?
4: I'd be willing to bet that I think we're about 50% or 55% still in multifamily housing. It still makes up half of our business, if not a little over half of our business. Since 2000, we've been having discussions since got 2010 or 2000, 2010, I want to say 2011, we were having discussions about how to diversify out of just having all our eggs in one segment of real estate and move into other stuff, you know, move into maybe commercial, move into some industrial. And since about 2012, I think we've expanded. I think we're over a half a million square feet of commercial real estate now in Westchester County, and more recently, we're in a deal now to do another half a million square feet of industrial property. So it, we've gotten away with that. But those conversations started early. They started in 2010, and you know, we kind of talking and talking and talking. I think by the time 2014, the right kind of project came along, and then we just been expanding on the commercial side since 2014.
1: That's great. And what type of commercial real estate are you looking into in your portfolio? Is it retail space? Is it what kind of businesses are you looking to fit into those spaces?
3: Retail space is a big no no. <laughs> so I'm going to jump out there and say it. I mean, look, the market's changed. Uh, you know, I'd love to say that the market changed solely because of COVID, but that's not accurate at all. Um, the market was changing even beforehand. The advent of, you know, the internet and Amazon and everybody's target and all these other things that are basically have changed the landscape of how retail businesses work today. And these retail establishments don't need that big of a floor plan or a footprint, albeit I think that that's going to change marginally, but it's never going to be back to where it was, where you have these giant, you know, like drive up and down Central Avenue for those folks that are here in in Westchester. And I mean, like half of it is vacant there's multiple reasons why it's vacant, but one of them is just the landscape of how people do commerce. So we don't really delve into retail too much. Our mainstay is we take over these former industrial properties that are like 150 to 200,000 square feet, and we really cater to a an audience like individual business owners, entrepreneurs, people who would have startups and they need 800, they need 1,200 square feet, they need 2,000 square feet. Our biggest thing is value added. So we are really happy to go into a space, make it our own, invest the time, energy, money into making it. And then on the property management side, it has to be something that we own, operate, and manage because we know what we're looking for.
4: If I could just delve in, you know, like what Forum said, it's kind of a sweet spot going back to how we grind. So we grind ourselves. We're always, we're working hard and putting in the hours and the creative juices are flowing and everything's going. And we kind of found our niche with that same clientele, who's this startup business, who's this people who are grinding themselves and we get them and they get us. And it's been very good. You know, we've got a good market there where we're straightened up front and they appreciate that and we're trying to help and they appreciate that. And, you know, it's just been a really good symbiotic relationship. They get us, we get them. It's been really good that way.
1: You mentioned sort of providing value. And again, they kind of get you, you get them. How are you doing that in this type of environment? You know, what are some of the ways that you're creating value that where they would choose you versus some other corporate workspace that that may be available to them?
3: So one of the things that I said, I just did an interview like a, maybe a couple months ago, and it was actually kind of funny. I said to people, if COVID hit and you were a landlord and you just wanted to start forming your relationship in May of uh, in March of 2020, it's already too late. I am a huge advocate of, look, life is too short for me to have crappy tenants and for me to be a crappy landlord. I want to be a good landlord. I want to have good tenants. And when tenants come into our building, we're really community driven. We think of our place as a community, as a hub, not as just like, you know, some 90 year old landlord that's like, pay me my money. <laughs> <You> know, <so laughs> we're, not, we're not that guy. So when COVID hit, I have every single one of my tenants' numbers on my cell phone. And I called every single tenant and said, hi. I said, you know, we understand that this is happening. First and foremost, is everyone okay? Yes, great. If you don't have the money to pay me March, uh, pay me in April, pay me in May, you know, like I'm here. But if you guys want this community to come back to, then you know I have to pay my bills as well, and uh, it was amazing. I mean, the whole of all the commercial buildings. I mean, we had like ninety-something percent collections, and people were real adamant about helping us keep this thing alive. And you got to build that from day one. That's why I said, you know, we have people come to us in our market, and they'll say. I got a good tenant for you, 30,000 square feet. I'm, by the way, I'm doing the voiceover. <laughs> it's a good tenant, class A tenant, which by the way, we'll get into class A BS. That doesn't work for me. They'll be like, come on and get this new tenant. I'm like, look, I don't know this person. I don't know this corporation. I don't know this entity. I don't have a, a contact person. Take it somewhere else, man. There's other people that are more than happy to take advantage of that tenant and they can all just make a lot of money. But I want people that I can actually understand, know and grow with. Half of my tenants are my age. And they're raising families and forming businesses at the same time I am. I kind of enjoy that.
2: What's funny is we've talked a lot personally about how you operate business and how you manage the buildings. And you talk about COVID, how, where the industry was going. It's been said that COVID, all it really did was fast forward things about five years, where things would have inevitably been. Generally speaking, that's where it just made that happen faster. You guys have been ahead of the curve as far as how you build out these custom spaces pre COVID. So, I actually think it's pretty interesting. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that on how you were designing these spaces pre COVID a particular way. And now, post COVID, you've already been doing it. So,
3: well, I'm going to let Ghani chime in about this. But before he does that, I'm going to tell you we have an aunt of ours. She is for the last 35 years. 40 years, probably. She has been getting her groceries, taking them all out, cleaning them all, and then putting them in the fridge. Her name is Naria Hall. We used to say, why do you do this? Like, you're crazy. She's like, I'm telling you, it's the right way to do it. And then like June of this year of 2020, everybody was like disinfecting their groceries. And she made <laughs> it a point to call her, but it was like, I told you guys, this is the right way to do it. I mean, <laughs> and like when we design stuff, we have an emphasis on, like, we have this thing, no shared air. So all of our units have your own p units, your own air. And people are like, wow, that's so great. You did that for COVID. I'm like, no, we did that because we don't want to share air with everyone in this building. Like, it's just the right way to do it. Like, like wow, you insulate the walls. Like, yeah, you're supposed to insulate walls. You don't get a cookie <laughs> for it. I mean,
5: <laughs> you supposed to do this.
3: <laughs> you, you know, just...
4: Building on what Floor I'm saying, when we design and we do things, like I said, we get them and they get us. So we always put ourselves in our tenant shoes, our perspective tenant shoes, to say, if I was to start a business and I got an employee or two employees or three employees, what would I want in the space? Would I want my next door neighbor to hear what we're talking about? The answer is no. Would I want air and sound to be traveling through the ductwork into the office next door? No, and that happens, by the way, interestingly enough. Would I want the next door people who are sick having that air recirculated and brought back into my space, which I'm not sick and I'm washing hands and no, I don't want that either. So we kind of look at it and we're saying, all right, you know, what do we got to do? Well, it's easy. As we're designing it, we're saying, hey, let's beef up the thickness of the walls. Let's increase the STC rating, it's called, which is the sound transmission coefficient, how sound travels through one barrier and the other. Let's make sure everyone has operable windows so that they can get fresh air into the unit. Let's make sure that people have their own individual air conditioning system, heating and air conditioning system, and that air is not circulated through the building or shared in the building in any which way. And we start doing these things, and George said we just ended up being ahead of the curve, just pushed it a little bit faster. Interesting thing is bathrooms, too. Like I'm sure you guys are all working offices and the bathrooms are, you kind of walk into a bathroom and you're like, oh man, I, don't, I really don't want to use the bathroom, you know, but, but you're there, you're there like eight hours a day or 10 hours a day, you know, you're grinding at work. Like, so, you know, the bathroom should be pleasant. That should be something that it should be. And people just don't think like that. We were always thinking about that because again, we get them and they get us and we're trying to, we're building it as if we were going to be the people
1: occupying it. It's funny, just listening to you both to kind of talk about your business and the way you've designed it. It's the first time that I've heard a commercial development, you know, company talk about community, right? Talk about doing things the right way. Most of the time, it's just, okay, I'm trying to maximize my profits, increase my margin. You know, it has very little to do with the experience of the tenants and the relationship between the two. And we haven't had a chance to meet, but just listening to you guys, it's very clear to me why you're successful, right? You're doing things the right way and the way you'd want to design them, And I commend you guys for that. I think it's fantastic.
3: Thanks. I mean, one of the things that Ghani was touching on and and you kind of touched on there too is, so it's like working out, right? Like everybody knows that working out's good for you and you get a six pack if you diet and work out. And the reason people don't do it is because it's so freaking hard. <laughs> like, yep. you know, it's like, um, and this is the same thing with this. I mean, Ghani said it, you know, we work six days a week, sometimes seven days a week. And I often say to myself, like, there's got to be an easier way. And there is, I could be that other commercial landlord, but I don't want to be that other commercial landlord. We really want to focus on giving people the best product and the best way. And one of the things that I will say is it's like our big no, no, the people from the drop ceiling company hate us, but I invoke anybody who's like, Oh, I love my class A office building. It's amazing. I'm like, okay, great. Get on a ladder carefully. Go up to your drop ceiling and just remove one tile and look what's up there. I mean, as a kid, you were scared the boogeyman was in your closet. The boogeyman now lives on top of your drop ceiling. Just trust me. Go up there and look. It's it's horrendous. I mean, and people are like, oh, I'm breathing in fresh air. Like, no, you're not. Stop. You're not breathing in fresh air. You're breathing in air from 40 years ago that has been stuck up there on the top of those ceiling tiles. It's, so we get rid of that immediately. We grind and polish all of our floors. It's like a clean office design. We always say, we want you to be able to come in, drop down an area rug, a table, chair, and a laptop, and start working in 24 hours. There's so much to this commercial real estate thing that's just wrong. We can't fix it all in a day, but we're totally trying. I mean, one of the things that we were talking about with Ghani when we became public enemy number one is the commercial leases and the commercial real estate market, you need a doctorate in math and statistics and legal to just sign a lease. You go into a place and they're like, oh, we're giving you a place for $11 a square foot. And then they're like, but we're going to add in a cam charge, a common area maintenance charge. It's like 20% extra. Oh, and then you got to pay a loss factor. That's another 20%. Oh, and they got to pay for landscaping and this and that. And before you know it, you're at like $35 a square foot. You're like, where did all these fees come from? Where all this stuff come from? We took that all out of the equation, partially because I'm not smart enough to calculate all that stuff. And part of it, because it seems disingenuous and like, come, you rent the space for me. If you rent 900 square feet, you get 900 square feet. You pay a rent, a tax and a utility. That's it. Done. You're not paying for me to landscape as if if you didn't take the space, I wasn't going to landscape the building. Like I'm doing
2: it anyways. You know, <laughs> that's why you pay rent. To that point, Flo, post-COVID now, the real estate game's changed. It is. It will never be like it was before. There's certain factors, I yeah, that'll come back for sure. You know, retail will eventually come back in some shape or some form, right? But the things that you're talking about for people who may be entering into the or thinking about entering into commercial real estate or who already own commercial real estate, maybe on a smaller scale, are the things you're talking about things that they're really should be doing or else? Laura, I can answer that.
3: Before you answer that, uh, George, we were talking about something prior to going on on this podcast. It was about people want to get into commercial real estate. And... There's no job in this world that I know of yet. And if you guys know of one, let me know. Where you can like work a part-time or be absentee and still get the most out of it. People want to be landlords. They're like, oh, I want to own a property. I just, you know, I'll show up once a month. I'm like, that's not the way you are a landlord. That's not a landlord. You're going to fail miserably like that. It's just like owning a restaurant. You're going to show up once a month owning a restaurant. Like that's a bad idea. Same scenario here is post-COVID, What's happened? Well, landlords have slashed slash prices. I mean, in some scenarios here, landlords are actually losing money just to not keep a space empty, which I don't understand. First of all, it's, it's a bad move on the landlord's part, but also as a tenant, like, do you want to be in a place where you know you're costing the landlord money? Like, probably not the best relationship, probably not the best community. Again, not my cup of tea, but. Landlords are trying to make up for twenty years of neglect, being absentee landlords. They've been living out in Boca. They don't even know who their tenants are, what their property looks like. And then COVID hit, and they're calling up all of their uh, tenants, like, "Hey, remember me from thirteen years ago when we signed that lease?" No, the tenant doesn't remember you. And it wouldn't have killed you to just shoot them a text every now and then, and say, "Hey, everything good? You guys good?" I mean, we've got tenants in our buildings. It's funny they come from another place, and they're like, so. What are we going to do about changing these lights? I'm like it's been four years. Yeah. I'm like, I'm going to change your lights. Yeah. But I'm not paying for it. I'm like, I didn't expect you to pay for it. Like like, I should have told me these lights were out two years ago. I would have changed them. It's a light bulb. It's okay.
1: Yeah. I think what you guys have shared so far is just really clear understanding again of how to identify if your landlord is actually worth the money that you're paying for in the space that you're paying for. Right. I think most of our audience either owns their own, you know, owns the space or is renting space right? So they can identify like, is my landlord actually worth it or not? Do I like the experience that I'm having or not? Is there something that's better out there? And for people that are trying to get into, I think most of our listeners either own multifamilies or want to own multifamilies. How does that dynamic shift? I think, Ghani, you had mentioned sort of not just being able to show up once a month to check out the property to see how it's going. What are some of the things that you would recommend for people that want to get into that multifamily space? What should they be doing well, you know, what are some of the considerations that they should make in there?
4: Sure. Actually, I'm pretty in a good position to answer this. I am actually a New York State licensed uh, real estate broker. I've been a broker since uh I was a salesperson in 2001. I had my broker's license in 2003, and I've sold millions and millions of dollars of multifamily real estate before joining my dad's company in commercial. So, I'm going to give the advice that I gave a friend of mine. A friend of mine is a licensed tradesman. He makes a lot of money uh, working big jobs and runs a good company. And he posed the same question to me. And uh, he said, I got a couple hundred thousand dollars. I want to do something with it. What do you think? And I said, do you like doing what you're doing? And he said, yes. I said, do you want to be a full-time landlord? He said, I don't know. Well, maybe, you know, I was thinking of buying like a 20 unit or a 25 unit or a 16 unit. And I said, all those options that you just said make you a full-time landlord. There's no way you're going to have to go there every day, every day, if not every other day. And the moment you neglect it, it'll be like you neglecting your business. And every time you go there, you are neglecting your current business that you're in. So you have to decide, do you want to be the licensed trade that you are, or do you want to be a landlord? And you have to make that decision. And, you know, he thought about it for a while and he's like, I think I like doing what I'm doing. I'm like, all right, so if that's good, then why don't you try doing like two families or three families that don't come with the regulatory hiccups that you would get as soon as you hit five families and above. And in New York state, at least when you hit five families and above, you're considered a commercial property. So there's an additional layer a very large layer that happens of compliance that jumps into that. If you stay under that, you're at three families, sometimes four families, depending on municipality, you don't fall into that. And it could be a little bit more passive. You can work out with the tenants, you know, who takes the garbage out. You can work out with landscaping. You can work out, you know, who's on point or who tells you what's going on. You know, like it's just a little bit easier, more managed. And that's more of a passive income that I think people would be looking for. Stick with the two and three family. If you're looking to get into the commercial realm of things and you don't want to leave your full-time job, it's going to be difficult. You're going to find it difficult.
1: You talk about the the two to three family, and I think most of the listening audience would probably be in that space. We have conversations with clients. You know, Again, everybody reads, you want to own multifamilies. You want to own a two-family unit. It's going to pay for itself. You're just going to collect passive income. It's super easy. You should just own a bunch in your portfolio. And people will kind of walk through the same conversation. Do you actually want to be a landlord? You know, are you comfortable with somebody calling you up saying, hey, the refrigerator just broke? Can you replace it tomorrow? Have you properly protected yourself if the tenant falls and hurts themselves in the property? You know, have you built that into your equation? What happens if COVID hits and your tenant isn't able to afford the rent? Do you have enough to actually float it? You know, your current mortgage and the mortgage that you're holding on that rental property. And I think having these in-depth conversations really opens people's eyes to, well, maybe I don't actually want to be a landlord because real estate is not the easiest asset to own, right? I mean, can you guys speak a little bit to that?
3: Yeah. Those terrible infomercials you see like, oh, own a building, passive income. By the way, (laughs) I haven't found this passive income you guys keep talking about yet. I mean, this is like <laughs> nobody's paying me when I'm sleeping, just so you know. People say to me, passive income, and it always makes me laugh because I'm like, yeah, but you're not factoring when you got to replace your roof or you're not factoring in the $40,000 it's going to cost you to get a new boiler, factoring in any of this other stuff. You're not factoring in the taxes and then add in a vacancy there. If you have a vacancy for three months, four months, five months, there goes your year. Nobody's factoring in that stuff. They're like, oh, yeah, I own a building. I paid a million dollars for it. I get this much a month. That's my passive income. I'm like, you didn't factor in any of the other stuff? <laughs> that was pretty good math. But if I could, for your listeners, I'll,
4: I'll break it down this way. And this is how the conversations I used to have with people back when I used to sell. And granted, I haven't sold for over a decade, but <laughs> I used to do a lot of it. And I used to have these conversations with people. And it's funny because those clients still call me up from time to time just to say hi you know, because we put them in something good and we found something good for them. And they're they're still incredibly happy for the work that I did over a decade ago. And, you know, those conversations had to do with, what do you know? What are the areas that you know? Do you know this town better than this town? You know, most people know the areas where they are, you know, and then you try to stick with geographically how you can get there when a problem arises at 10 o'clock at night. How long does it take you to get there at 10 o'clock at night? I had an interesting case where a friend of mine in Westchester County, Mimarinick is on one side of the county and Yonkers is on the other side of the county. And if you look at them on a map, they're not that far away. They're like 11 miles or 12 miles away. But to get there takes you almost 35 minutes. To get from his house to where he bought Yonkers was 35 minutes away. And if you look at geographically on a map, Yorktown Heights, which is upper Middle West Chester, to where the Bronx is, it takes you just as long to get from Yorktown to the Bronx as it would take him to get from a to Yonkers. One distance is 37 miles or 36 miles away, and the other one's 12. So geographically it's the same, it takes you the same time to get there. So how long does it take you to get there? And that's something that we call manageability. How manageable is this property for you that you're looking to invest in? And that's important. And I think the next thing, just touching on Florham was saying, was you know, you got to keep in mind that properties have a life cycle. And that life cycle, just like people have life cycle, right? You're in school, then you're working, then eventually people get married, then they have kids, then the kids grow up. There's a life cycle. There's a life cycle to property as well. And understand that when a property is being sold, it's because it's somewhere at the end of its life cycle for that previous owner who's selling it. And that might be they're losing it or they've been losing it you know, for a while. And now this is just the end of it. It could be that they made the decision to sell five years ago and they haven't fixed or done anything in five years because they, in their mind, they already sold it. They're just waiting to milk the last of it before they give it to somebody else. So- any property you're going to go look at is not going to be perfect. Very rare do you find one that's perfect. You find one that has these issues and you should understand those issues before you get in. Like, hey, this boiler has been neglected or this roof has been neglected or these sidewalks have been neglected. And within the first couple of months, six to eight months or six to nine months of owning this property, these major capital improvements have to be done as well too in order to help you against, insulate you against losses, insulate you against damage and people not paying and things like that. So it's not just the cost of the property in closing, it's the cost the closing plus the immediate major capital improvements that you're going to have to do because of where you bought it in the life cycle of the property.
3: Yeah. Ghani touched on that as far as the residential side of it. And obviously that's a huge factor on the commercial side of it. You know, one of the conversations I have with people and you guys were touching on it before. I have a lot of people that say to me, ah, I'm not going to rent from you. I'm just going to buy my own place. I'm like, do you guys own Excel? I mean, just punch a formula chart in real quick, like figure out this is what I bought it for. So am I paying in the interest on in that loan? So I'm paying on the taxes, it's what I'm going to pay for maintenance, find out what you're renting it back to yourself at for. It's definitely more than what I have. And I get the depreciation, but still it's more money. I mean, I have a guy who's signing a lease with us now. He's taking 10,000 square feet. He said, find me a building. I'm going to buy a building flow, 10,000 square feet. And he's a doctor. I said, Doc, yeah. What is your job? So I'm a doctor. I'm like, but what are you doing in this job? He said, I'm creating modalities like therapeutic modalities. So do me a favor. Take this $2 million you were going to spend on a place and go buy machinery and marketing and invest it in your business. You will make that money 20 times over. You put it in a property, it's going to be eaten up between your taxes between your interest, between all this other stuff, the maintenance on the property, you rent from me. You don't buy your own place. If you're a commercial guy and you buy a property, you should have 50% of your space allocated to rental where you're going to rent that space out. And then that tenant will pay the taxes and that other tenant will pay some of the maintenance. And you're going to probably have to have staff and you need those guys paid for. But it's not this idea of I'm just going to buy a property and it's going to just print me money. If anybody finds that, I want it. <laughs> I want it immediately. Well, that's one of the things I was just gonna say. Is maybe if you guys want, we could kind of come back and at least for me, you know, I'd love to get a plug on on what we do. I think it's yeah, for me, I want people to reevaluate their current situation. Reevaluate your current situation. I mean, look at it. A lot of people's leases are coming up. A lot of people's
1: All right. So let me just why don't I do this? Let me just ask one last question and then dive into what you're talking about. Guys, as we kind of wrap up here. Can you just give the audience sort of one final takeaway? And again, we'll give you a chance to introduce yourselves at the end, but kind of one thing that they should absolutely take away from this conversation today.
3: Look, I always tell people reevaluate your situation. Look at it. A lot of people's leases are coming up. A lot of people are either downsizing or expanding, believe it or not. And I always tell people just reevaluate your situation. There's a lot of nonsense in the commercial real estate market. It's perpetuated by brokers and by third-party management. But ask yourself, man, is it worth it? Is it worth where I am? People say to me, oh, I got a class A building. I'm like, what does that mean? Oh, well, I got a swimming pool. I'm like, how often do you use your swimming pool? Well, I've used it twice in 10 years. I'm like, is that worth paying $8 more square foot because you have a swimming pool or a gym? We don't cater to that BS market. Like, We're like, look, I'm just going to give you a better deal on the place, which is a nicer place. And then go get a membership at Lifetime or Equinox. Like, go knock yourself out. Don't have that in your office building. I mean, if it's there, great. But you shouldn't be paying out the nose for it. So I think people should just really evaluate where they are, what they're doing, and where they want to be. Look, you spend half of your waking hours, probably more than that, at work. I mean, is it worth being in an office that sucks? <laughs> like, the answer is no. I mean, being in an office that's terrible, like stuffy office that you just don't like going to and you're paying a crazy amount of money for. Like just reevaluate that stuff. And one of the things that we offer is call us directly. Call my office. We have a property manager's office in every place. Deal directly with us. It's not a problem. We love dealing directly with clients. We generally tend to give them a better deal and they tend to be happier.
4: Yeah, I think if I can jump in there as well too, you know, we were talking about the camp charges and other charges that that people put on With us, when you're in with the landlord, you know, the landlord through rent already has one hand in your pocket as the business, all those other fees, cam and everything else, we really feel that the disingenuous, it's like we're sticking both hands in both pockets. And we didn't want to do that. So I had an interesting conversation with someone one time. They said, oh my God, you're leaving so much money on the table. You could be making this and you could be doing this. And I said, yeah, but that just seems unethical. It seems wrong. What it costs us to run our business should not affect what it costs you to run your business. Your business is your business. My business is my business. We believe in capitalism and that everyone wakes up to to do the best job they can. I wake up every day and I do the best job we can. Florin wakes up every day and does the best job he can. And we're doing that. We do landscaping and we do all this stuff that everyone else does. I'm just not Putting my other hand in the pocket and saying, Hey, you got to pay for that. We just we didn't feel that that was right.
3: Upon every big lease that I signed, and I signed one in Europe that's a 280,000 square foot lease, I told the client, I said, I hope you guys make $1 billion a day. Your rent's not going to change. I hope you guys make a billion dollars a day. It's not going to change. I'm happy. I made an agreement with you. I'm happy. I move on my life. I hope you guys are happy. And let's just keep going. Let's move the thing here. I mean, With all of this stuff, like when I look at properties, we take over these properties that are doing poorly, by the way. And then we revamp them and do very well with them. And people are like, how do you do well when you're collecting less money? Number one is I'm collecting money correctly. And number two is go back to that community thing. I want to know these people. And if people know you, like, look, George knows us. We got to lunch together. We have no problem doing business together because we know each other. He can pick up the phone and call me. That's what we're trying to elicit from these different people in this, in this area. And again, the trade-off for us is it costs us a whole boatload of time, but I'm 38. Ghani's 40. We have plenty of time. (laughs) We we can afford this. If you're the 90 year old landlord, you don't have time. Can't afford this. You've, you've already kind of turned over your entire business to a third party management and everybody's greasing everybody. And it's, it's just not our cup of tea. And yeah, by the way, I just shouted out all the third-party management companies.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, again, guys, Uh, we really, really appreciate the time and the energy and the insights. Where can the audience find more information about your projects and and your company?
3: This is going to be a really novel idea for people. We have an on-site property management office at every single one of our commercial buildings. So if any people are here in White Plains feel free to contact us at uh, 914-290-4848. I'm going to speak to my lovely assistant, Dorantina. I could also be reached at Florim, F-L-O-R-I-M at switch210.com. And 210 is the numbers, not the word spelled out.
1: Yanni, Flo, appreciate you guys. George, love speaking to you as always. And to the listening audience, thank you very much for tuning in and subscribe uh, below to learn more about this podcast and the other ones we have coming up. Talk to you soon.
0: Thank you for listening to the Wealth Style Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available.
5: This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or Opus Private Client, LLC, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian and its subsidiaries do not issue or advise regarding mortgages or real estate. Yvonne Wantanabe is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities LLC, PAS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS member FINRA SIPC. Yvonne Wantanabe and George Papanikolaou are financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Opus Private Client LLC is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Opus Private Client LLC is not registered in any state or with U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission as a registered investment advisor. Yvonne's California Insurance License Number 0H44206. Compliance Approval 2021-117972 expires March 2023.